Good morning. I hope that this finds each of you doing well this morning. I have to say that the Lord has laid a message on my heart this morning that is so urgent that I feel the need to deliver it even if I cannot deliver it in person. And so as I sit in my home this morning recording this, I hope that wherever you are and whenever you're listening to this, you will realize that this idea presented in Scripture this morning is so crucial to all of our lives that we should remember it at the peril of forgetting even our own name. So the title of the sermon is Through the Fire, and the passage is Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 through 31. We're going to be studying a passage that is familiar to all of us. This is one of those Bible stories that we learned as children, and we've never forgotten. Nebuchadnezzar's statue in the fiery furnace is a story of tested faith, courage, and God's faithfulness. This morning, we will be going more in-depth than you may have in Sunday school or children's church when you were young. And it's to be expected that as we go more in depth, we will see more things than we have in the past. As we study this passage, I believe we will also see that there are many ways that we can identify with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even in our situations today. We will also see that their stand sets an example that we must follow if we want to please God. The sermon in a sentence is this. The Lord expects us to stand against the current of popular culture in the world no matter the consequences. Okay, so I'm going to read this passage to you. It is slightly lengthy, but it does move as a narrative, uh, so it will not seem too long. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I want to point out that as we read this passage and we see this image, it continues to say that Nebuchadnezzar had set it up. Um, and in the last passage that we studied in chapter 2, it was God who set up kings and nations. He prescribed their rise and their fall. And so, from the very beginning, just in the language, we can see the arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar in the establishment of this image. It is the image that he set up. Verse 3, Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, 
You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods and or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into fire? They answered and said to the king, O true, O king, 
He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Okay, so we are going to look at this uh, from, from three points. We're going to start with this statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Um, remember, this was an act of Nebuchadnezzar, something that he did uh, in order to stand in the place of or to supersede what God himself had done. Uh, the passage starts by telling us about this statue, 60 cubits, uh, roughly 18 inches per cubit. So you're looking at a 90-foot tall statue, 9 foot wide, 90 feet tall. This immediately reminds us of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in the previous chapter of the image with several layers, the gold and the silver, the bronze, the iron, the iron mingled with clay. But Nebuchadnezzar's statue is all golden. It seems that he is making a statement that he will not pass away and there are no other kingdoms to come after him. You know, we're not told what the statue was. Was it an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself or one of his gods? We're not told that, only that it represented Nebuchadnezzar and his gods. Um, paganism was adequately vague at this time so that each person would have been able to see their own gods in this statue. Uh, no pagan would have a problem worshiping this statue. It would have blended in with all of their other religion. You know, the next thing we're told is that the statue was placed on the plain of Dura, which is the location of the original Tower of Babel. Those ancient builders were trying to build glory for themselves, and they were also trying to disobey God's command to separate, fill the earth, and multiply. It's important that we recognize that this king was seeking his own glory, but he is also trying to gather mankind back together under his rule. He gathers every political office holder in his empire together to dedicate the statue. 
By this point, Babylon was a great empire that stretched from modern-day Turkey in the west to Egypt in the south and the Indus River Valley of India in the east. All the officials from each province were required to come together for this new statue. As you read the list, it might seem repetitive, but what we see is that from governors down to treasurers, justices, magistrates, literally every level of government uh, was commanded to come to the dedication of this statue. They were commanded to be a part of this one empire religion. The king is trying to thwart God's plan of the many kingdoms that would follow him, and he's also trying to undo his work of separating mankind and filling the earth. You see, Nebuchadnezzar is trying to bring everything under his dominion. He was told that he was going to be the greatest of the nations, but he wants to be an everlasting nation. He wanted to be the stone that crushed the statue instead of just being part of the statue and part of God's plan. We must be clear. This is not just a statue. It is an aggressive action taken by a king to establish his political and religious dominance in the world. All those who gathered were commanded to fall down and worship at the sound of the many instruments that would be playing. This was not merely a joyful worship service, because if anyone refused to worship, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. The statue was a symbol of Nebuchadnezzar's supremacy over any other man or any other god. Now, throughout history, totalitarian states have always had such symbols in place to inform people that their only choices is loyalty or death. Even the nations that allow people to have their own religion will demand obedience to the state over obedience to their own conscience. There's an old saying or proverb that says the life of the state is the law of the state. And this means that whatever the state needs, its laws will demand. You can see this in many different nations. Whatever a state requires for its schemes or its uh, measures of expansion, it makes laws to support those same schemes and plans and measures. The state is all. Its needs are paramount. Its demands imperative. Its commands absolute law. But no believer can submit to this type of state while maintaining a Christ-like life. In Rome, the Christians were obedient until they were required to worship the emperor. In every state since, there has been a moment when the people of God engaged in holy, civil disobedience. You know, the dream of America was a break from state involvement in religious lives of its citizens, but there's coming a day when even this nation will need something that our God will not allow us to provide. Nebuchadnezzar's talk would have been that of unity, but that unity can only come when everyone agrees to live and worship according to his laws. God's people have existed in these forms of totalitarian states many times. 
but they've never been able to faithfully serve God and conform to the requirements of the state at the same time. Sadly, there have been Christians who have compromised uh, in their religious lives, in their faith to God, and they have conformed to the demands of the state. Those were not true Christians. They did not please God. There have been others who have stood against the powers of the state. They have stood against what the commands were, and they have faced the consequences of that stand. We must be aware of the statues that are set up in our world because we cannot bow to these statues as children of the Most High God. Let's talk about the stand that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah made. But before we address that stand, we must address the fact that someone is always watching God's people to see how they will respond when a challenge is made against their faith. The Jews had long been known as stubborn people who were inflexible in terms of religion. What a legacy to have that you will not bow and you will not change your religion to save even your own skin. The other Babylonian leaders would have known this and it would have given them opportunity to act on their jealousy over the high appointments that had been given to the men. When the men stood refusing to worship the statue, someone was watching and waiting to tell the king of their disobedience. Now I choose to call these Hebrew men by their Hebrew names rather than their Babylonian names because I believe that they would not have thought of themselves as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but rather they would have remembered their God and remembered the names that spoke of his faithfulness. So we need to make it clear Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did not wage war on Babylon. They simply refused to compromise the integrity of their relationship with the Lord, and they were ready to face the consequences of this action. There may be a time for war, as the Lord has said, but in this case, he would be glorified by their stand. We can see that this action infuriated the king, because of his most competent leaders, they, even though they were his most competent leaders, they were placed under a sentence of death if they did not comply. You know, it is time for us to stop for just a moment and ask ourselves, how did Nebuchadnezzar transition from worshiping the Lord as God of gods and Lord of kings in chapter 2 to demanding that all people worship his image or face death. Gradually, as he began to see himself as more important than anything else, his disillusionment would have allowed him to believe that all his people could be united politically and religiously under him. You know, I have a commentary on Daniel written by G.H. Lang that was first published in 1940. This is before we would have really known what Nazi Germany was, and he includes some rhetoric about religion from the German state. No one knew just how evil Germany would be at this time, 
there were people inside of Germany that had saw the beast, but no one outside had seen that yet. And so this was written to the youth of Germany in 1936. One cannot be a good German and at the same time deny God, but an avowal of faith in the eternal Germany is at the same time an avowal of faith in the eternal God. If we act as true Germans, we act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer, serves Germany, and whoever serves Germany serves God. You see how the rhetoric was done. What they were saying is that God and Germany are equal. Obeying God means obeying Germany, and obeying Germany puts you in obedience to God. They were putting the state side by side with the Lord. Germany went from a defeated country on the, de on the verge of collapse in 1921 uh, to the premier power on the European continent in 1936, and it was on the strength of such talk where they combine these two ideas of, of state and God. It is amazing what people of faith can do, even when their faith is misplaced. And, and so we see that transition there. When people of faith give their devotion over to the state, they can amass great strength and commit horrible sin because their moral compass has ceased to be the Lord. If obedience to Germany means obedience to the Lord, and Germany tells you that, that you must hate Jews or that you must you know, invade other countries or whatever it is that Germany tells you to do, if Germany is God to you, then you are going to do those things and understand them to be your Christian obedience. That is how they believed that they were morally right for what they did. We can never equate the state to our God. We can never place our faith in the state. We may be citizens of a state, but our true citizenship is in a much higher kingdom. We can never allow the state to dictate what our morals are. You can never legislate morals, and that is a dangerous and slippery slope. It's possible that America has already started to slide down that slope. Now, some would say that the New Testament commands believers to be obedient to the leaders that God has placed over us. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, we are taught that kings or governors are appointed by God to repress crime and support virtue. While engaged in this work, all rulers have divine authority from the chief all the way down to the lowest appointed leader. They all have this divine authority. However, when the state overreaches, they can claim no power and the commands to obedience over believers will cease to apply. When the state overreaches, when they are no longer protecting the people, when they are no longer uh, giving out justice, when they are no longer repressing crime, at that point, their power and their sway and their authority over Christian believers has ceased. 
Nebuchadnezzar wanted to combine political and religious devotion of all of his people so that they would not be easily broken. If they believed both intellectually and spiritually in the Babylonian Empire, they would not be broken so easily. They would be obedient. They would be easy to be called to arms. Now, these three Hebrew men, they would resist this overreach of authority, setting an example for generations of God followers to come. In the 2nd century BC, the Greek governor or king, whatever you prefer to call him, Antiochus Epiphanes, issued a decree to his whole kingdom that they should be one people with one code of laws and one religion. And the Jews resisted to the point of revolution. At first, they simply resisted to join this one kingdom religion. But when it was at the point of being forced upon them, they rebelled against the Greeks and actually fought and won, fought for and won their independence, um, casting the Greeks out of their land. So that was an example of holy civil unrest, holy rebellion. Now, as for the last days, the book of Revelation tells us one last great overreach by the powers that be. This is Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 through 4. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? For the believers alive during these days, the stand that we take against the beast will be labeled as treasonous. But it is better to be a traitor according to man than a traitor according to God. There will come a day when we have to make our own stand. And in that day, it will be crucial that we are obedient to the Lord, despite what man has to say to us. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did not give a defense for their actions. They merely stated that their God could save them from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. But even if he would not, the king would know that these men would not bow down to his image. It would be easy for us as believers today to say that no one is out there building statues to worship, so we don't know exactly when to take our stand. But the building of a graven image for worship in the 6th century BC was as common as the nightly news is in the 21st century AD. So the believers Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they had to have the discernment of the Lord to know when to take their stand. We are going to have to be observant, prayerful, and holy to know when it is our time to stand. There was a pastor 
named Martin Niemöller. Uh, he was a German theologian, Lutheran pastor. Uh, he's best known for his uh, fight against the Nazi, the Nazi, not, Nazi, Nazi regime during the late thir- 1930s. Now, he had been a German nationalist and an early supporter of Adolf Hitler, but as he saw what was happening, he recognized that it was time to take his stand. He's known for a a poem that is now up in all of the Holocaust museums. Um, This poem, it's had different versions, but the one in the United States Holocaust Memorial reads, First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. His final sermon before he was arrested uh, was on Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Where the Apostle Paul says, uh, Apostle Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. For his opposition to the Nazi state uh, control of churches, uh, Dr. Niemöller was imprisoned uh, in two different concentration camps, uh, and he stayed in those camps from 1931 all the way through 1945. Um, He would narrowly escape execution. Upon his release, he would go on to speak against totalitarian states, uh, military aggression. Uh, He was a noted uh, advocate for the denuclearization of the world. Um, He stood, uh, and that stand inspired many others after him. There will be a time when true Christians must stand against the powers of the world, and we must be ready to pay the full cost of that stand. So let's talk about the salvation. This is the best part of the passage. It is the part of the passage that we all look forward to. So here we are. The fury of the king was so great at the defiance of the Hebrew men that he ordered the furnace to be heated to seven times its normal heat. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were bound in their clothes and thrown into the infernal to be consumed and forgotten. The information talking to us about all the clothes, it was like uh, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to erase every vestige of their existence at one time. He was so furious at them. Now, the heat of this furnace was so overbearing that the men who threw them into the furnace died from it. Now, upon observing the attempted execution, Nebuchadnezzar discovers that not only has his furnace failed to kill the condemned men, but there's also another walking with them in the fire. The other one is like a son of the gods, according to Nebuchadnezzar. When obedience to God and obedience to the king become unreconcilable, the men chose God, and his deliverance of them was immediate and it was sensational. 
Now, it must be said that for countless others in the same situation, the Lord's deliverance has been of the spiritual nature. I'm reminded of the words of Apostle Paul uh, in Philippians when he is in jail awaiting a trial before Caesar. And he has determined in his mind that if he is executed, that's for his gain because he goes on to be with the Lord. And if he lives, that is for the Lord because he continues to serve the Lord in his own way. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about who that was walking around with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or uh, better yet, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, we can generally assume that it was the same figure that visited Old Testament uh, individuals that we've heard about known as the angel of the Lord, uh, probably a pre-incarnate um, visitation of Christ to the earth. Um, but the point is not who is that walking in the fire. The point is, is that the Lord was with them and delivered them from the fire, not from being in the fire, but from out of that fire. God delivered them in this miraculous way. Now, not all people that make a stand like this will have the same kind of deliverance. We have to realize that when we make our stand, whether we are saved in a miraculous way or spiritual way, we will be saved. We cannot possibly be put to shame if we stand for Christ, because He will always save us. Now these Hebrew men, they experienced the sudden physical salvation of the Lord in that furnace because their stand was bold, and the Lord wanted to show His power was greater than the power of Nebuchadnezzar. We may experience salvation differently, but we will experience salvation if we place our trust in Jesus Christ and ignore the dangers this world presents for such a stand. Now, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up here uh, by just saying a couple of things. One, there is no such thing as a safe faith in the kingdom of God. We live straddled between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of man will always try to pry our allegiance away from the true king. This world will try to use seduction to lure us away from God with happiness, with money, with fame, with the things that, that, that we seem to think are good. Then the world will use temptation. They will put us in a situation where we have to choose one or the other. And then finally, the world will use force. The world will try to force us to deny our God and affirm our loyalty to the world. We cannot fall to the traps laid before us. Trust in the Lord. Hate the schemes of the devil. And wait for the day of our salvation. Thank you for listening, and I hope that it is an encouragement, and if not, an eye-opener, that even in our world today, there are statues set up that are purely designed to cause you to stumble, to cause you to walk away from the Lord. Stay prayed up, 
Stay studied up in Scripture. Do not fall for the schemes of the devil. And know that Jesus Christ alone is your rock and your salvation.